0: Good morning happy father's day uh, one thing that was not said during the announcements is through the church doors there each guy can receive a homemade apple pie um, from from the church now it was it used to be miss Pat who's with the kids but she's passed it on last year when Bob had his heart surgery I got a little concerned i 'm like it's time to start passing on to the ladies the secret of how you do it and and so I didn't put it in the bulletin because I wasn't sure it was going to happen. But I was pretty excited when I saw the kitchen filled with little eight-inch apple pies. Um, so before you leave, uh, our standard is low. If you're a male that's an adult, you know, there's a lot of apple pie out there. So grab, a, grab an apple pie and eat it. Yeah, I don't need all the leftovers. But we might have dessert covered for, uh, for Wednesday night, <laughs> which is a good thing. We're in Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 8 and as you're turning there you know the thing on Wednesday night you know this unshackled radio program it's an old radio drama kind of like dragnet that that's been going on for 60 years i really didn't know much about it <clears throat> and and about a year ago i think anna started asking me she's like do you mind if i like write up your story and and uh submit it sure if you do it i don't really care and and, and basically when she did it the ball started rolling really quick, and we went and saw the live recording of it. And it's still set like old school, like we heard the organ and stuff. But it's, it's, um, we're having a potluck and, and, you know, humiliation of me. You know, there's a lot of old stories there that I'm not so proud of, but God has done a work in my life. You know, one is, you'll see, they did a really good job. When, the, when I saw the actor acting, I was like, I felt like I had to stay away from him. But he played my old Navy buddy that was there when I was stealing tips out of the tip drawer to pay for beer on a fake ID. And it's like, oh, man, I'm like, why did I have to remember this stuff, you know, that they could air out? So 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 it's going to be I'll be blushing all night. But uh, God has done a work and I'm, you know, you know, glory to him for what he's done in my life. Um, Today, we have softball for those of you that can come. We're just going to go down to the south field. It was so much fun last time I started getting worried um, Leading up to this week, about Thursday, well Wednesday night at Bible study, I started going, man, my allergies are kicking in. I hope I'm not getting sick. I think it's just allergies. Well, I laid down Thursday and I woke up pretty much Saturday morning. And so Anna's like, "You sure you're okay for Sunday?" I'm like, "I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll preach, and if I do all this, then I can play softball." She's like, "You don't think you're gonna play softball, do you?" Of course, if if I do everything okay, I'll be okay. So. So pray for me that I have energy. I was sort of like my internal thermostat is a little off right now, where I go have heat waves and then I'm cold all of a sudden. But I think I'm okay for softball. It's going to be fun. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll go through our story in Luke chapter 8. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, uh, for all that you're doing in our lives. Uh, Lord, we ask, Lord, as we come to this story in the gospel of Luke chapter 8, Father, that your spirit would help us to understand its meaning. Lord, there's a number of people here, and we're all in different places in our walk with you. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would soften our hearts. Lord, may we hear your voice. And, Lord, may you help us to understand uh, the message here. Lord, I pray that you would help me, um, give me strength, Lord, to get through this text. Uh, We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this story... Every week as we're working through this gospel, there's kind of this turmoil of how much to cover or how little to cover. Where do we break up the text? And in today's story, there's really three stories. They're generally broken up into three different categories. But I think that in the bigger picture, they all sort of fit together. So I um, have opted to cover the first 21 verses in this text and my goal is to kind of touch on things, but there are, there are elements of things that I, I have to kind of guard myself for time-wise to continue cover too much. Um, so just realize that as we're reading through this. So at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road. And it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things, he would, as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables. So seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm roots. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. <clears throat> so take care how you listen, for whoever has to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. And his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. And Father, we do thank you for the story, Lord. We pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, how this applies in our own lives. Uh, We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. So as we get into the story, uh, it's a transitioning point. We see soon afterwards this is after the story where Jesus went to dinner with a Pharisee. And as he's there with a Pharisee, a woman comes in, a, a, a girl who had, a, I think was, she was defined as an immoral woman, one who had many relationships. She would have been scorned from being in the group. She comes in, she cries, she wets Jesus' feet with his tears, her tears, she pours perfume, she lets her hair down and begins to wipe his feet off. The room basically scowled at her and Jesus basically looked at her with respect and dignity and and praised her for what she had done. Soon after this the story continues. And he began going from one city and village to another. So he's going around the whole Galilee region, stopping in little towns and cities, and he's proclaiming, preaching the kingdom of God. We'd seen from previous parts of the story that he's sharing forgiveness of sins. That people were forgiven of their sins, that through faith in him, they were forgiven. And they said, who is this that can forgive sins? Who but God can do this? And he took credit for it. And we see this bunch that is traveling with him. See, Jesus was a rabbi. Most rabbis, they would have a group of men that were the upper echelon of society, that were hand-chosen of recruits that would come to them. They'd wean out most everybody. They'd take a few select people, then they'd go on. Jesus had sort of like a vagabond group. These guys are fishermen, tax collectors, people that didn't make the cut. The 12 are traveling with him. And then we see that there are women with him. Three are pointed out. There's Mary, who is called Magdalene, who's introduced. There's Joanna, who is the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna. So there's these three women, but there are many others. And they're traveling with Jesus, which is totally out of the norm. Now, why I could spend probably a whole Sunday or a couple Sundays going over this. See, there are some in our culture who say, oh, Christianity puts this divide between men and women, that that, that women are put on a sort of second tier of, of value and respect. There's nothing farther from the truth. Why it's clear that there are roles that God has given between men and women, in the scriptures we see Jesus. While working with women that women are very valuable in his ministry and in the church today women are totally like on level ground with men there's no dis, dis- i mean there is a distinction but as far as value and worth there's differences and i love it that these women would no rabbi would have a woman following after him women were not taught in this culture women were not educated by rabbis and so Jesus shattered the cultural norm by teaching them and allowing these women, who not only were just women, there were women who were like outcasts, looked down upon, they're with them. And I love this picture, the end here, it says that contributing to there, the there is Jesus and the 12 apostles and the ministry they're doing, these women are supporting them out of their private means. Now, if you're visiting, don't feel nervous now this isn't where we're going to turn and talk about money before i was a christian i used to say oh the church just wants my money that's absolutely not true yeah there's there are crooks out there that use religion to get money but that's not the case here i think in this picture it's a beautiful picture of what giving and tithing is about in the christian life you see the church right now the air conditioning's on we have lights going some of you are cold some of you are hot I'm little of both every five minutes, like whatever happens. <laughs> just based on my eternal thermostat right now. But like there's lights on, there's parking lot that you can park in, there's seats to sit in. There's coffee out there. The SDG&E does send us a bill. Like it, like just because we're a church, they don't say, oh, they're a nonprofit. And, and we're not selling a product. It's like I'm not out there selling T-shirts or stuff raising income. So people who come like this is really a thank you sort of thing that that in, as I've come to Christ as I've s- started to grow in my own life and realizing man God's doing a work I want to participate. That tithing and giving is really more of this to say you know what I I want to give out of my own means. And to see this church from where it was we just had our 4 year anniversary of the restart that when we first came here like this was a big struggle. Like I would walked away from the Navy, you know, eight years from retirement, and praying about coming up here in one of the sponsoring churches that helped us go in. He's like, he's like, brother, are you in it? Are you ready to go? Like he's a Southern guy and he had this real thick draw. And I'm like, well, I think that God's leading it, but I'm also kind of like I, I'm a dad and I have a wife and like they want to eat and have a place to sleep. Like and these are like like I think that this is it. Like but. He's like, yeah, brother, if God's in it, you'll be taken care of. And it's like, yeah, it's easy for you to say. You're not like the one up and moving to Africa. This was Africa for me. I mean, I grew up in San Diego, but where's Valley Center? Nobody knows where Valley Center is. And to see that people like, you know, for the, I mean, it was 12 or 14 people at that time. And to see God just like add people and all of the outside groups that were giving that today, it's like, well, it's a freestanding church. And it's. It's to re- like that it's the generosity of the people of the church that we basically give out of our own like to, to pay for the lights that we had one missionary overseas and now we have a whole handful of missionaries that we're supporting, like it's awesome that we have been touched by Christ and then we want to contribute to this, to the support of this church and it's happening, and I'm so blessed by like by by the people here who are like these women in the scripture. And then the heart of this, the story that I want to get into is as they're going, this crowd comes together, verse four, and those from various cities were journeying to him and he spoke by way of a parable. So all of these people were coming. There's this huge crowd. I don't know if there's a 50 people, a hundred people, a couple hundred people, but it seems like a very large crowd, 20, 30 people. At the end of the story, we see that his mother and his brothers can't get to him. And so this seems like a substantial crowd that somebody has to come relay a message to Jesus that his family is outside trying to get in. And he's there. He begins to speak on a parable. And we're going to learn more about a parable um, a few verses down. But a parable is essentially telling a story from from a common sort of illustration of life to, to paint a picture of a, a very clear or spiritual truth that, that would have a greater impact And so here's this crowd and Jesus is about to teach a spiritual lesson. And we're told in verse five, the sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, before we go into the unpacking of this, I want us to understand this picture of what's happening. The parable of the sower is so common in our culture that we tend to skip to the translation part to, to realize the picture of what's happening. See, this is a for them. This was an agrarian culture where they they were they you know they were farmers. This was everyday way of life for them. And the picture here is Jesus starts telling them about farming. A sower, a farmer would have kind of like a man bag around his shoulders and it'd be filled with seed. He would walk over his property without to, like he might toil the land a little bit, but it's not like our days where they pull out the John Deere tractor and they. They get all the land turned up. See, this is where my farming kind of hits me. And then they make the rows and then plant the seeds every six inches and then water and fertilize. They would just walk over the land and they would start scattering their seed. And in this, there's no picture over the sower other than this. He's out sowing seed over his land. And we see there's four types of soil. All of this soil is really bad, except for one. So three quarters of the soil is bad. And we come to Valley Center and Valley Center is a perfect picture for the soil. You can go up to like, there's the golf courses. You know, there's the one over here. There's one up at Palma Valley. The grass there is like beautiful. Like I've never seen grass so beautiful. I like grass. And so I said, I want grass in my yard. And I just throw a bunch of seed on my little patch in front of there and I start watering it. And I have little patches of grass and clay. There's like clay. There's little sprouts of glass. There's a bunch of weeds and some grass in there. The seed's all good, but why is it not working? Because the soil is so bad, it's killing the growth of the seed. And Jesus is here basically saying, hey, listen, in the field, there's a walkway where people walk. The ground's compacted. It's harder. You throw seed there. It gets birds eat it. People step on it and destroy the seed. You have other spots that are that are rocky soil, so they'll sprout up for a little bit, but the roots can't get any depth. And so when the sun comes, they basically perish. There's other areas that have like rose bushes or thorn bushes. They'll start to sprout up, but there's so much stuff happening there that the competition kills the seed. And then finally, there's good soil, and you put the seed in there in all sorts of Pl- plants come up and it yields a good harvest and in the midst of all of this this word calling out he literally is yelling like he's screaming out of them those of you who have ears ears to hear let them hear i don't know if you guys have been around farmers or cowboys but they're like hard to get a facial expression out of them And I can just see these guys looking at Jesus going, what are you talking about? Hundred of them. He's this would be like my plan was to think of some good illustrations to help bring this to life. But then I was in bed Thursday, Friday, trying to get up on my feet yesterday so that I can play softball today. But I'm I'm driving down there. It would be like if I had this whole message about, hey, guys, when you come to a stop sign, you come to a stop. There's a white line on the ground. You see the stop sign. You stop. When you get to a stop light, if it's green, you, you're free to go through it. If it's yellow, you have two options. You could slow down or you can speed up to get through it. There's no pink option. Red means you stop, completely stop. And in the midst of saying this, if you have ears to hear, not just if you have ears, but if you have ears that actually hear, which now if you have ears that don't hear that well, we now have a new assisted listening device so you can listen more clearly. on a side note it's pretty cool but it's like he who has ears to hear let him hear this is great jesus we we already know about so and see it just makes sense like this isn't some great spiritual teaching if you were there you'd be shaking your head going this is all he has to offer and i don't know if they moved or what happened but his disciples were kind of like scratching their heads like they're like we've We've left our fishing business. We've left tax collecting. But he who has ears, let him hear. We really want to hear, but it just sounds like you're talking about sowing some seed. And there's really bad soil. Like 75% of the soil is bad if it's evenly broken up. What what are you trying to say to us? See, verse 9. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to them, or, and he said to, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing, they may not understand this This as a teacher, as see, I grew up in a church that was so boring and the Bible, like, I don't even know if the Bible was taught. Like I certainly like, that was one of the biggest things for me when I became a Christian and I started going to a Protestant church. It's like, man, Christians were kind of goofy. They all were like packing heat everywhere they went. They had like their own Bible. It's like, why are you carrying your own Bible? And then it's like when I joined the club, it was like, man, I got to go buy a Bible because that's just what they do. You know, like, why do they buy a Bible? See, this is where I'm a little. Oh, (laughs) I know where I'm going with this. And so then when I started becoming, when I became a Christian, I started growing. I was in a church like, man, the Bible's really exciting. There are some fantastic stories in here. My aim has always been, as I left my old vocation to become a pastor, like I want to teach the Bible in a way that is understandable, that people can get it and grasp it. But Jesus, in this verse 10, basically says he's teaching in a way that as he talks to the audience, he realizes that of the people out there, 25% of them are listening. 50% of them are listening, but they got other stuff going on. And 25% of the people are just asleep. And I've been one of those people. I I was a kid in the Catholic Church and I was snoring. And the priest called me out. That was not a good day. I did not get a donut that day. (laughs) But, But he's saying, like, listen, they're not awake, so I'm teaching in a way that they don't understand. Most commentators say that he used the parable to protect them. Because the day that they go before the Lord, the more you've been exposed to, the more you're accountable to. And I'm not saying I totally understand this or it sits well with me. But he looks at the disciples and he says, you understand and I'm giving you guys have been granted this ability to understand the kingdom of God. He was preparing them for the day of Pentecost when the word's gone out. We're going to see in the second story about lighting the light. That although he was speaking in parables, a day would come when the floodgates were open and the information was to go out. He goes on, he says, verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. He says the seed that is being sowed, it's a picture of God's word that's going out. The seed is good in the story. There's nothing broken with the seed. Now at this point, before we go look at the four different types of soil... I want us to go back to Luke chapter one. As we go through the scriptures, we have to remember what is the purpose? Why did the author write this book? If we go to the gospel of John, we know that John, every single word in John is building a case for the end of John that says, I'm writing these things to you that you may come to believe that Jesus is the savior. Everything John writes in the Gospel of John is to help somebody that hasn't trusted in Christ for salvation to come to salvation in Christ through believing in him. It's building a case for Christ. Luke is a little bit different. Not this Luke over here. I know there's a Luke, so <laughs> but he's a little bit different. He's a Marine. I always like making fun of Marines whenever I can make fun of Marines. So, <clears throat> Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. The first four verses, we kind of learned the purpose of why Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. The first two verses says "In much as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He says, listen, I didn't see Jesus. There were all kinds of people who were eyewitnesses that saw, that wrote, that documented the things of Jesus, Jesus's life. The people that lived during Jesus's time, whether they believed or didn't believe, recognized that this man was of the utmost historical importance the things that he did the things he said that he overcame death it was mind-boggling and so they were documented the the historical evidence over who jesus is is overwhelming compared to even like george washington or abraham lincoln like blows it away and he said verse three it seemed fitting to me that's luke as well having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. So he said, I, Luke is a physician. Suddenly, history records him as being a historian because his history of Luke and Acts is so overwhelming. When he set to write out the story of Jesus in consecutive order to this person, Theophilus, who was already a Christian. Verse 4 So that you may know the exact truth. About the things you've been taught. And so he's encouraging Theophilus to grow in his walk. In the gospel of Luke, we see this like ratcheting down, turning up the the fire on us as Christians to examine how we live. Going back to Luke chapter eight. A number of, of commentators this week quoted this line that i i never really heard and i forgot that i read it but then rick this morning in reference to like being a navy chief he said it so i don't know if it's a well-known saying he said don't expect that which you don't inspect and their call to this passage of the sower of the seed was to to inspect your heart before god don't just expect that you're going to be like walking good as a christian that you're going to be you know good to go with god but not inspecting the condition of your heart. And so as we look at these four soils, I'm going to ask you as you go through here, what soil is your heart? But I'm not going to give you the option of the good soil. See, always in the Bible, when there's good guys and bad guys, I always put myself in the good guy category. And we need to guard ourselves. At the very end, we can go to the good soil. But ask yourself, what, what what soil am I? Is my my heart hardened to the things of God? The first seed? Some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. I noticed that some, when I scattered my seed in my yard, and I watered it, I even tried, I mean, you can try like with a rake, try to scrape up clay, but like, when I scrape off the little, like, microscopic little, where you can barely see, it looks like fingernails on a chalkboard, and I scatter that seed, and then I see the birds are all happy because it's like I'm feeding them. It's like, no. <laughs> like, there's definitely patches of clay in my front yard where no seed has taken root. And I read this, and it says that some, some hearts are so hard, and see, I, I always say, like, I was raised in the church, but I don't know that I was really raised in the church. I kind of went to church on Sundays. I, I stopped going. And, you know, like, I, on occasion, after I became a Christian, I'd go back to the Catholic church with my siblings, and I'd say, well, you know what? Like, the, like the gospel is kind of is here. Like, I see the cross of Jesus, and I can connect the dots. And I'm like, but I have no, like, recollection of the gospel. A few years ago, we did a trip up to Salt Lake City, and we went into the, the, the Mormon temple. And it's like, I'm walking the halls, and I'm like, man, the gospel's here. Like, the King James Version's all here. But I know a lot of Mormons who've never heard the gospel. And I don't know if it's because, like, God's just, like, their hearts haven't received Like, I'm sure that people had witnessed to me because they drove me crazy before I became a Christian. But suddenly, when I was 22, suddenly my heart was softened so that the seed went in and I suddenly got it. But he's saying there are those that when you sow the seed, when you share your faith, when you tell about Jesus, that they're asleep at the wheel. They're not paying attention. They don't even care. Water off a duck's back. Then he goes on to the second group. Verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They will believe for a while, and at a time of temptation, fall away. See, this one's scary to me. The longer I'm a Christian, the more faces come to mind of people that, man, we were like zealous for the Lord together. Like we both were excited and then something happened, and they just kind of, the, the flame kind of pitters away. I mean, I've been there where I kind of pitter away, and, and I totally believe in the security of salvation. Like, if you've saved, you're saved. But there's, a, there, there's enough in the scriptures that kind of concerned me that it's like, man, salvation's about abiding in Christ. And there was one class in seminary that this teacher, his name was Dr. Chuck Emmert. He was always in a suit. You know, him. <laughs> his hair is like very like perfectly combed, kind of like I said don't let it get back to him. But kind of like Bob Baker, why not Bob Baker, Bob Barker, Bob Baker sells cars um, down at Lemon Grove, but very manicured. But his voice was like, like a radio voice. And we were in this class and he was talking to us and he said, you know what I often do every week when I before I study? He's like, I roll my chair around and I look at my bookshelf you look at your bookshelf i'm like you know being like osmosis studying that's what i'm all about like lay asleep on your books but he's like no i look through my i i look at my bookshelf and i remember where they came from and he said i remember all of the pastors that they had a moral failing a stumbling a walking away from the lord and then they donated their books to me and he's like it's a reminder to me to stay humble before the lord that i'm just a sinner saved by grace and i need to keep my heart right before the lord and it man it was a wake-up call he said these are these are people like the second group they hear the word they're excited they want to grow and then all of a sudden there's a falling out it just doesn't it doesn't take root and wednesday night at bible study we were kind of talking about baptism and some people were sharing about when they got baptized like you know they went underwater and they came up And they were expecting like this great, like sort of like zapping from God, like supercharged Christian. (laughs) And it just like they're like, but I was just wet. Like I was just wet. And now I like I go dry off and everybody's like hugging me. But see, this is the thing is, is it's not about like an emotional response. God will work in our lives and I'm all for emotion But we don't base our relationship and who we are with God based on our our emotions. It's based on the truth of the word of God. And so then the third group, the seed which fell among thorns. These are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with three things, worries, riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Like if I'm honest with you, this is the group I struggle with. This is the group in the Christian life. And I say this with getting sick this week. I whenever I'm like going at a, mile, a million miles a minute, juggling everything, what God does to me is he gets me sick. says, it's time to rest. No, I don't want to rest. I don't, who's got time to be sick? But then he, you sit there and your back hurts after like 24 hours and you start, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? With my, like, what, I'll prioritize I need to get back to the basics. And I don't know what group you fall into, but I think it's not like we're all sorted out and we fall into these three categories. I think we go through cycles in our life and there are times when we, we kind of fall into one category or the other. Like our hearts can become hard to God's word and we don't want to hear it. Can have no root. And I love Psalm 1 that talks about those that meditate upon the Word of God and the precepts of His law. That it's like a tree that's planted by a river that's roots grow deep and they can they can handle the storms of life. There's times when we need to grow in our walk. And this whole Bible can be super intimidating. And how am I supposed to grow? Guys got tons of degrees in the Bible and they still don't have it figured out. But I heard a guy say once, just pick a small book in the Bible. Like, just take Ephesians. It's one of my favorites. Read Ephesians every day for a year. Just read it every day for a year. It takes about 10 minutes to read Ephesians. And if you read Ephesians every day for a year and start asking questions and start looking at it, you'll start memorizing it. And I guarantee you by the end of the year, you'll have more theology and understanding of who God is than most Bible colleges produce, unfortunately. Just because you have the word of God, it's putting into you. You're getting roots that go deep. Go to a church where the Bible's taught, like here. Or, uh, there's all kind of churches that, where the Word is taught and you're expected to grow. And then the final seat here, well, the third one I see, I wanted to skip over the one I struggle with here. <laughs> That's, but the third one is like the business of life. Like life is busy. There's, there's good here, there's bad. Like I know for me, like sports, it's stuff that I've kind of had to sacrifice. Like, there, there's no more marathons in Gunner's future. Like, they only run marathons on Sunday, and I would love to like run a marathon or an iron—I don't know about an Ironman, but that's—they do those on Saturdays. But I'm not really—I'm not ready to ump the ante that far. But it's like, no, Lord, I've made a commitment to be here and to worship and to grow week by week, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And now I'll let us flip the switch and be good soil. Now, let's say that we're good soil. The rest is about good soil. See, it goes on, but the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. See, the thing I love about this good soil, see, bad soil can be turned into good soil. I know it because every time I leave Valley Center, woods valley golf course has nice green grass if i go north on palma valley that grass is even nicer and and it's not the seed it's the soil the preparation and god can take a hard heart and make it soft he can slow you down if he wants to slow you down and as we come to these bad soils we need to investigate our heart lord what do you want me to do like where am i missing the mark And he goes on to say in verse 16, looking at the good soil. See, there's a theme that begins in verse eight as he's calling out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then in each one of the soils in verse 12, it says who have heard verse 13, who would they hear verse 14? The ones who have heard verse 15, um, the ones who have heard the word. It goes all the way down to verse 18, which we're going to get to. So take care how you listen. And then finally, in verse 21, the end of our passage, he says that his brothers and his mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So this is all about hearing. And so the good soil, he shifts and he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a container or puts it under a bed. But he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. And see, this is a, so this is a lamp from Israel. Don't get all excited over it. This is like a little, like a little, you know, if you go to SeaWorld and they give out souvenirs, it's one of those things. But this came from, I was just surprised it made it back. So what this is, is there's a little wick up front here. You get this at the YMCA in Nazareth. They have a Jesus town that they've, they've kind of made a little area that you can go and see the town where jesus would live they would pour oil flammable oil in the big spot and then they would it's like a little tiki torch and he would light this as a lamp and so this is the lamp that he's referring to he says how many of you go through the trouble of lighting this up and then putting like a cardboard box over it no you wouldn't do that how many of you in valley center were high fire game would be okay with me lighting this and then going to your house and putting it under your bed not very many of us He goes on, like in practical terms, it would be like installing nightlights in your house on an extension cord and then running the extension cords into the closet and then shutting the doors. So that when it's pitch black and you come home, they're doing absolutely no good. He says, no, when you light a lamp, you put it up high so that people can see. And I used to come to this passage and think, you know, there's that little kid song. I don't know how much I'll sing, but I did a little bit last time, you know. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. See, I always had this picture of like we're the ones doing the lighting of the light and we're going to let it shine. But in this picture, it's really that God is lighting the candle in us like we're the candles and he's the one lighting it. Now, in my life, I've been a little bit like those magic candles. You know, you you light them on the birthdays, the person blows them out, and all of a sudden it starts flaming up again and it it lights up again. Like, that's been my life. God's been lighting me, and in my own circumstances, stupid things I've done, I like put a bucket of water over my candle. God's like, I'm not done with you. Light you up again. Light you up again. I'm going to let you shine. And, and when we look at this, see our next story where we're going next to week, they're going to get into the boat. They're going to go across the Sea of Galilee to Decapolis. They're going to meet a guy who lives in a graveyard who's naked that was dangerous. He had demons in him. Ultimately, these demons get cast into the, the swine and they run off a cliff. The guy's been crazy. They've handcuffed him. He breaks out of him. He's cut himself. People are fear, afraid of him. He comes to Christ. His life is changed. Everybody sees it. And then when Jesus is going to leave, this guy comes up to him and he says, take me with you, take me with you. And Jesus says, no, go back to your people. See, Jesus just lit the candle and is using him to do a work. And if you do a historical study on this town, it's so over, it's amazing. And so he goes on to say, for nothing is hidden that will become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. See, you can pull off stuff with all kinds of people. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your friends. You can fool your brothers and sisters. But there is no hiding anything from God. He exposes everything. And we read this picture of light exposing darkness all through the scriptures. And it's kind of like, oh, man. Like, I'm really not looking forward to Wednesday. This whole unshackled thing. Like I'm like we're really airing out our dirty laundry to like whoever listens to it around the world. Like it's kind of embarrassing. God says, I'm gonna make known everything. There's nothing you can hide from me. And verse 18, he says, So take care how you listen. I've noticed from our education system, from from elementary to college, there's all kind of classes on how to speak, how to communicate how to write, how to tell a story through video, through websites, through everything. I'm, I'm not aware they probably exist of any course on listening. Like, how do you listen? How do you pay attention? See, there's a difference from hearing and listening. And we have a bunch of bad listeners. And God has communicated to us through his word. And he wants us to listen, to to investigate. He says, take care how you listen for whoever has To him, more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Whoever has, more will be given. Whoever doesn't have, or whatever he thinks he has, will be taken away. What's this talking about? In the last two weeks, I've had some, some, unfortunately, some things that kind of shed light on this to me. Two weeks ago at the SWAT team, I talked about a lot of stuff last week. One thing came up a bunch, and I was teased a lot for snot that I said apparently a lot last week. Uh, I apologized, and I got sick. And I had plenty of it on myself, and so it backfired on me. But so I, through the SWAT training, I'm running with the officers, and we're doing shooting drills. And I'm their lane grader, and I have it all in my head. And I'm, like, giving them guidance on how to shoot while they're running tactically. And then I'm thinking like pretty good about myself because I can say and guide and coach everything. And I like, look at that. I'm like, hey, it's my turn. I want to run through this drill. And so I run through the drill and there's like, sh- like they're, they're little steel plates, little round plates. And I run up there and I'm like, I hit the first two. And then it's like, man, shooting everywhere. Bullets are hitting nothing close. And I'm getting more frustrated. He's like, man, just relax. Hit the top of the thing. I'm like, thinking to myself, trying to hit the stupid top of the thing i know exactly what i'm like but i'm not nearly as good of a shot as i was 10 years ago when i was an active duty navy seal because i haven't practiced i haven't been training it and on monday i went to a funeral of a seal buddy and there were about 100 of us there i'd say 20 maybe not 100 but there were like of the group of like 20 we were all in a platoon about five of us were civilians and the rest stayed in the teams and i'm walking i'm like man you guys like they're all like upper echelon now with like racks of metals and bronze stars and all kinds of stuff. And they're all like yoked big time in shape. And then us, on the other hand, we're like, not nearly as in shape. It's like, man, what happened? I thought it was just because of age. And we've all aged the same, but you guys are still in shape. And it's because they're still like Exercising. And I've noticed that when you exercise and you lift weights, like muscles come from muscles. And the less you exercise, like whatever I think I had back then, I have it all taken away now. And it's going to be pathetic with me on the softball field because I play like I still think I have all this stuff. And I'm going to try to arrange getting oxygen at every base for me so I can like kind of stop and get breathers. But he's saying here like your spiritual muscles, like in all kinds of stuff. Like I've been trying to write a book. And one thing that somebody says is writing begets writing. I don't care how much I wrote 10 years ago. Well, I haven't written 10 years. And so when I sit down to write, it's like, uh, the, oh, scratch that. What? You know, <laughs> scratch that. I'm so glad we don't have the pieces of paper that we have to pull out and scrap like we did in the old days. But he's saying, take care how you listen. You don't have to master the whole Bible. But if your heart is good soil and you say, God, I believe this is your word and I want to grow deeper with you, then you read one verse. He'll give you something. And then you sit down and you just get, take time to walk with the Lord. Come to church on Sundays with something to write on. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to grow. And it's amazing what happens over the course of time. And as he's saying this, Word comes, his mother and his brothers. Jesus had biological brothers. His mother, his brothers, his, his little kid brothers are there, his mom. The crowd is so big, they can't get to Jesus. And they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. So eventually, somebody's able to get up to Jesus. They're trying to get backstage passes for his family. Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are back there. They want to come see you. And Jesus says something like radical. He says, my mother and brother are these who hear the word of God and do it. See, coming to church, it's not about just coming and listening and listening and listening. James 1 talks about that you hear it and you're doers of the word. Like that God's speaking these words, and when the soil is right in your heart, you receive the word of God. And as a pastor, I understand from this text. If I'm lucky, 25% of you are hearing what I'm saying right now, which is like less than like, you know, for our church, it's about 25 people. But that's okay, because I only talk to the people who are awake anyways. But the word goes in, and it transforms us, and our lives are different. And he looks at me, he says... He's not talking down. His mother was there at the end. His mother's there through the whole thing. His brothers ended up doing great things in the church. James, who said that, be doers of the word. He wrote that. But he's saying, my, my, sibling are, my siblings, my mother are the ones that hear the word of God and do it. And that's what I love about the church. I came from a totally broken home, all kind of problems. And I come as I've grown as a Christian and made friends at the church, like to be around you all, like like people from the church. I'm closer with it. Like the people in the church, I'm closer with you guys than I am with a lot of people in my family. And it's not because I don't love them. It's just because like our worldviews are like totally different. But then a mother and a father or a father that has a relationship with their child as a brother, as Christ, that's powerful. When we're looking through eternal things and Jesus turns to scales, he says stuff that causes us to think, to ponder. What is he talking about? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. One of these things along the same line that I think helps explain this picture that he's saying. And this is one of those that we have a hard time understanding. He says this. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 Jesus says, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That doesn't sound like any Christmas Eve service I've been to. Well, when he comes again, he is, but he's going to do it forcefully. He says, for I came to set a a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. (laughs) Great Father's Day first, Gunner. Great, wonderful, you know. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. You can turn back to Luke 8. And as I read this passage, Jesus is not trying to break up the families here. But the longer I've been a Christian, the more I've seen something that I didn't see before I was a Christian because it just wasn't in my circles. Like there is a sort of in Christian circles that the the, ten, the propensity or that the where your family becomes an idol. A total idol where how your kids or how you do stuff, it's to elevate who you are. And see, Jesus isn't knocking on his family. He loved his mom. His mom was there at the end. He made sure she was taken care of by John when he, as he was dying. His brothers went on to the church. But we have to keep our family into eternal things. Changes everything when you understand that God has given your kids and you're just a manager. Ultimately, he's their father and you're to help guide them along the way and i like this is what i love and about our church when the mannings came to town a few months ago for those of you that don't know the mannings the mannings are missionaries that we support in mongolia we took them on as missionaries a month after i had been at the church they came and spoke and there were 25 of us in the room they've been a very big part of of this this congregation although they've never actually been here they get this sermon sent to them in mongolia and so i said well what's your guys's reaction of the church like what, like, what did you think? And they said, you know what? The thing that like struck us more than anything was like the vast difference of everybody. From like young people to old people, from like ethnic backgrounds. Like you guys have a hodgepodge of everything. Like I heard one pastor refer to church as being like at the Star Wars bar, which I didn't know what it is. But the kids were like, they, they were nice enough to get me a picture to show me i don 't know enough about Star Wars to, to explain this, but you, get, you obviously got people from all different backgrounds and galaxies, and you know you say stuff without but we 're all from different backgrounds, like I remember I got an email about six months ago from somebody that was I think she was Navajo Indian, and she said, "You know what? I really want to be around tribal people. Do you have tribal people and i'm like well i 've been kind of told that i 'm like a tribal kind of person, you know like <laughs> So I thought I didn't say it. I said, you know, now I think about it, you know, we do, we do, we have some tribal elders and we have a bunch of, like, we have tribal people, but you know what? We don't even, you know, you know what? They're, they're, they're like our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't really view people like that. And I think it's powerful. Like, I love that, like my daughters love Miss Pat and they like it. She's like grandma to them, but they're like, they think it's cool. Like she's their sister in Christ. But there's this unity that doesn't exist out there. It's because we have the same father. And as I wrap up, I know I'm tired I'm trying to prove to my wife that I'm okay to play softball today. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not looking at her. So the first thing I, I, from this story is the power of the scriptures to change lives is overwhelming. Like we see that the word of God affected these first three verses, the disciples, these women, these outcasts in society to see that God spoke to them, transformed their lives. And it's not about where you've been. It's where you're going. And that's what unites us. The second thing is, as Christians, you know, if you haven't accepted Christ, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, it's not confusing it gets confusing because religion's kind of ruined it because it's too simple for us to fathom. Everything we do is like on a cost basis. I go to Starbucks. I order a drink. They want money. You do anything. you want, Anything requires an exchange of service. But God says, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going to send my son to come to earth to live the perfect life that he would go to the cross, pay for your sins. Every sin. That he would have them placed upon him, that he would bear the consequence of your sin and my sin, that he would go to the grave on the third day, he'd rise again, he'd conquer death. And all we have to do is believe. And in believing, we're forgiven. We're sealed with the spirit. And so often we think, like I've had events, like especially at church events, we say, oh, we want to have a free women's tea. And there's a big thing, like, not even just women's tea, I shouldn't have said that, but like, whatever the event is, if you say it's a free event, people think, oh, it's cheap. You got, if you charge a hundred bucks, a whole bunch of people will come. But if you say it's free, nobody will show up. And it's true. I mean, it's true. And so we look at what Jesus did. We think, oh, it's free. It's cheap. No, no, no. It costs. It was a great cost. What he paid for. It's a free gift, but it's not cheap. And salesmen will always catch you and say, I want something cheap. No, you want something not expensive. (laughs) It's not cheap. It's high quality. So come to Jesus. Trust in him. And as we come to Jesus, as our lives are changed, there's power in the word of God as we read it, as we study it, as we try to memorize it. I, like, week to week, prove to you how bad I am at memorizing it. But the process of memorizing scripture what it does is you ultimately meditate upon it. So even if you don't get it word for word, you put it into your heart. And then it's a seed that goes into your heart that you don't know how he'll use it. And once we put it in, we want to live it out. We don't just put it in, get a little sprout so we look like Christians. And then but we don't do anything. There's no life behind it. One of my favorite passages as a pastor that I try to live out that I hope is modeled as an example to the church, is Ezra 7.10. This is a great one. I should have, mem- I should memorize it, but I'm so bad at memorizing, but I know what it says. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it. So Ezra's this prophet, and his goal was to study the Bible and to practice it. That's my aim in life. And to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so when I teach the Bible, my aim is to like, To study it, to learn it, to live it out, and then to teach it. Because there's life there. And unfortunately, that's where all my bad stories of all my shortcomings. Like I learned. Like nobody's perfect. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you. Father, that you created each and every one of us, Lord. That you've created us, man and woman, in your image. Father, we thank you. For this life that you've given. Father we thank you that in the mess that we've made of it Lord. That you have redeemed and restored. Father we thank you. um, That you use us Lord. The outcasts, the castaways. The sick, the needy. Father we thank you that you humbled us Lord. To come to you to receive you as Savior. Father, we thank you for the work, the process of sanctification that you're doing in our lives. Father, we ask as we look at these three types of soil, Lord, that you would help us to examine which of them that we struggle with most, Lord. That we would uh, soften our hearts to you, Lord. We desire to be good soil. And Father, as we prepare the soil of our heart, Lord, we ask that you would... um, Lord, help us to be lights for you. Lord, help us to listen and to hear your voice. May we become sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Father, we want to be doers of the word. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.